Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. If you've read the Gospels, um, and uh, some would say that in reading the Gospels, um, there's very little mentioned about Jesus' childhood. Of course, we, we know the Christmas story, and we know about the wise men, and, and we know about the, uh, the eighth-day dedication at the temple. But um, there are four Gospels, and only two of the four even mention anything about his childhood, and uh, two Gospels don't mention anything at all. So, in one way, people would say, so we know so little, and wouldn't you love to know what Jesus did during those 18 years of silence? But I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way at all. Is there a link between the childhood development of Jesus in the process of his life as a, as a toddler to a teenager. A link between that and the Ephesians passage that gives us a commission as, as pastors and teachers and spiritual leaders to be used by God, by the gifts of grace, to build up the body of Jesus, which is you. As I've stated in the last two messages, and I'm going to say this every week, if Jesus stood beside me today in visible form and looked out here, and in a little while we're going to gather around the Lord's table, which we call communion, where Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. But you know what I believe he would say? I know he would say, he would look out here and say, this is my body. And I don't just mean our church family, the whole church around the world is the body of Jesus. But we're called to grow up into the word stature of the fullness of Christ, which means if we are to walk like Jesus walked, it starts in an environment. And so I am in a second volume sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We've already done volume one, and you can go back if you want to and listen or watch or whatever. This is volume two, This Is My Body, and this message today is titled, Nurtured in Nazareth. Um, Being a pastor, I get mailers all the time about uh, getting a group of Christians and going to the Holy Land, and I have always wanted to go to the Holy Land, and someday, uh, that's on my bucket list, and I want to do that someday, Uh, and, and and the pamphlets usually say something like this, walk in the land where Jesus walked. I think that would just be awesome. It would be awesome. I have some friends that live in Jerusalem, and they, they've told me, hey, man, you can stay with us. We'll give you the real tour. And I'm like, we'll do that someday. Um, but if Jesus would be standing here today, here's what I believe he'd say to you and I. Each one of us individually, he would say, I would like to have your body that I might live out my passion and compassion 
to connect with lost people my father wants to save. I would like to have your body and be in your shoes and go around in this world and keep on redeeming people that are bound. I'd like to, if he was standing right here, I believe he would say, I would like to have your body so that I might strengthen the church you're in using your spiritual identity and your spiritual gifts that I've given you to add value to your church family. If I could have your body, he would say, I would like it to become a living sacrifice in service that completes the purpose I have not only for you, but for the world of which you live in, which I'd love to expand. And then I believe he'd say this, by this time next year, if you will allow me room in your life to apprentice you in the word and teach you how to have an intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you will know why you're saved, not just if you're saved. You will know what your gifts are and why I gifted you and uniquely designed you if I could have your body. By this time next year, I believe the Lord would say, you will have stories to tell of how I showed up when you gathered in the place you call church. I'm so thankful, right? I mean, the Lord's always here, but I love some of those Sundays or some of those days when you're with a few Christians or you're in a room like this and you just leave going, wow. It was good to have been in the house of the Lord today. I feel like Jesus was here today, right? He's here all the time, but sometimes we don't notice it. And I believe he's here. And I want to I notice it. And I believe he would say by this time next year, you will be able to look back and remember moments and Sundays where God met you. But I also, I also think he would say this by this, this time next year. I want you to have stories to tell your brothers and sisters of how I showed up in you wherever you went. This is my body. Now, over the next few weeks, perhaps four, as, as we, again, are going to offer in March another growth track, by the way, Dustin's going to lead that one. He did such a great job on the last one. Growth track is for anybody and everybody, whether you're a, a board member or you're a member that's just getting bored. You know why we get bored a lot of times? Because, because we just don't want to do the churchy thing. We want to make a difference. And if, and if, you, if there isn't a way to make a difference, and, or if we just present that if you don't sing or play the piano or whatever, well, I just guess you sit in the audience and watch Dave Letterman interview the guys once. That's not what church is. Church isn't an audience. Church is a living family, a body, gifted people, not just to do stuff here, because you can't do all the stuff between uh, 10 and supposed to be 12, but you got me. So it's a life. It's a life. So, so in growth track, um, in growth track, that's one of the ways you can you can find out about. How, uh, don't underestimate what God wants to say to to you and uh, about how He wants to you to be a fully functioning servant of the Lord. And to be a fully functioning servant of the Lord is about being nurtured in your faith in a certain kind of environment. 
I missed this kind of environment in the early days of my new beginning with Christ as a late teenager. I had some of it, but not a, it wasn't a predominant uh, way of, of, of living. And I, I paid a price for that, and it took me a long time with God's help to get me back to a place. I'll talk about that in a minute. I call it being nurtured in grace, but to coin, a, but to coin a, a phrase that I hope you don't forget because we're going to talk about this and unfold this uh, over the next weeks. Uh, it begins by what I would call being nurtured in Nazareth. Nurtured in Nazareth. And uh, so we're in Ephesians, and that's going to be our go-to book. But we're also going to link up with our friend Luke and his gospel. And we're going to see today how that this principle applied in Jesus' early toddler to teenager and through the 18 years of we don't know until he shows up in the baptismal waters of his cousin, John. And we're going to talk about him in weeks to come too because the same thing applied to him. Uh, We're going to look at that. So we're going to start in Ephesians today, chapter 2, kind of where we left off last week. And we're going to link last week to this week. And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. Verse number 4. I love these first two words, but God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us even when... We were dead in our transgressions. He loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. And what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, we've been saved. What is grace? Grace is God choosing to show favor to people that don't deserve it, don't earn it. And grace is something I want to I really pray that the Holy Spirit helps us understand what it is. But it's by that that we've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, and we're in one of those ages after ages after ages until he comes back. In the ages to come, and we're in one of those, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace, how? God wants to send toward us, because we're in Christ, kindness. Kindness. Now, what person walking around in this world wouldn't want that if they heard about it, that it's offered? Let's keep going. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. None of us found Jesus. He found us. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. We can't boast in that. Well, I was just living this amazing life, and God said, I need him because he's amazing. It's actually the opposite. We can't boast. And it's not as a result of works. We can't boast. Would you read the rest of this with me out loud? For we are his workmanship. Emphasize his. Let's do it again. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 
I love that. Was that Roberta again? In Psalm 139, David is talking about being blown away with how intimately aware God is of him. And he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Here's what I believe that means. When Jesus was a baby in a manger, I don't think he was sitting there going, now, hold on, before you nurse me, I got something going on on Andromeda right now. I got to tweak that. Goo goo gaga was his language, and I think that's all he was thinking of was goo goo and gaga and where's the where's the milk? For him to meet a man who was laying by the pool of Siloam for thirty eight years. And God had already planned for him to show up when they were exposing a woman who had been caught in the act of a sin, that he would be there and set her free by light and grace. There are days written in the book, and it doesn't say this coming, although God knows, this coming week on Wednesday, Tim McGregor will go to blah, 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 at 4.15 at p.m., blah, blah, blah. It doesn't mean that necessarily, as it means there are moments in time in God's purpose that before I was ever born and before you were ever born, they're written in a book. And he wants us to walk into those things. It's what Jesus said, can I have your body? Because I have things ordained that I want to do through you. That's what this is talking about. So, this growth environment Jesus was a part of. We're going to look and see Paul also was a part of this. This is so important. This is so important, so important. And here's what I want to say about it. The Father's growth environment for Jesus is his plan for you and me, assuming we've been born from above. Because the growth plan of God can't start until the Holy Spirit starts a new life in me and in you. Going to church is good, but that won't turn you into a Christian any more than going into your garage will turn you into a car. Although, there are many people who would say, I found Jesus or Jesus found me in a church service. If you're one of those rare birds, raise your hand. You got saved or you've met Jesus or, or it was because of the church you, were, you heard the gospel, right? Raise your hand again. I want to look at you. Yeah, there's a few of you here like that. Me too. If it wouldn't be for the ministry of people in the church when I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, I don't think I would know who Jesus was. Is. Sonia's mom was one of my Sunday school teachers, what, what three years ago, something like that. Taught me the scriptures. Well, look at this, it says, but Jesus is born. Jesus is born the night he's born. Night he's born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths. I love the poetry of the King James. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes. He's wrapped up in love and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And uh, I, I, I looked up this article in the Harvard Health uh, Journal. It was talking about swaddling babies. So swaddling has been part of caring for babies for millennia. It makes a baby feel like he or she is still inside the womb or like he or she is being snuggled close. Think of grace. It's been shown to help babies sleep better. 
It can be particularly helpful for babies with neurological problems, colic, or God love them for babies born addicted to drugs. Swaddling clothes. Some babies have trouble with sleeping on their backs because they startle themselves awake. Maybe that's my problem. And when they're swaddle, swaddled, that's less likely to happen. But there are downsides to swaddling. Because it keeps the legs together and straight, it can increase the risk of hip problems. And so they say, swaddle, but uh, maybe use one of these new things called swaddling sleep sacks. Uh, we'll pass those out at the door next week. <laughs> I, I look at some of you fall asleep and make you more comfortable. We'll give you one of those things. All because we're gracious. Um, but so you, you keep the legs moving. But I thought of that with grace. You nurture and swaddle, but you keep the legs because you want to grow and you want to walk. You want to develop. So Jesus is born from above, and he's on his father's mission, and he was swaddled, but he wasn't smothered. And we're going to look in weeks to come about there's a time to be in Nazareth, and then there's time to leave Nazareth. Because if Jesus would have never left Nazareth, he would have only been known as Jesus of Nazareth. I think God had a bigger plan for him than living in Nazareth. Same with us. And it's not necessarily about changing geography, but it's changing your destiny wherever you are to see yourself as somebody that has the hand of God on their life for a purpose. And that comes from being nurtured in an environment of grace. In the Messianic Psalm 22, Jesus is quoting this psalm on the cross. We know that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the final thing he said it was tetelestai, which is the Greek Old Testament for it is finished. All Psalm 22. But there's a passage in there. He's on the cross and he's reminiscing on this. He has to be. And he looks down and he's, and he's wanting John to take care of his mother. And he's remembering. It says, you are the one God who granted me life and you endowed me to trust as I was nursed at my mother's breast. Jesus, the Messiah, as he's suffering, is thinking about the nurturing element that he is now not experiencing as the father steps back because Jesus steps in and begins to carry on himself something that he didn't deserve. We deserved. He took our sin on himself and was separated from God so that you and I would never have to be. Jesus was abandoned for a moment from that swaddling presence of his father, becoming a sin offering and a sacrifice, and he shed his blood. And remember that off-ramp that I said didn't exist and we were caught on a roundabout? All of us, but God. And here's what God did for you and me. He convicted us. There was a point in a place in, a, in your life where he started to convict you that something was wrong. I remember my friend Ronnie and I, we weren't, we, we weren't born saved. And uh, we, we used to, uh, now we're in church together. And I serve communion, Ronnie and I. But there were times we, we kind of like partied and kind of like sinned together. Not much. I think we did that once in our childhood. But, uh, but, and I remember, I remember getting under conviction. I remember getting under conviction as a late teenager because I had the word of God in my head. And it was enough to, I could never be a happy sinner. Because I knew too much to be too happy. And I remember when it was really culminating in my life, we're jamming along and going down a road in Ronnie's cool car. Had the best stereo speakers in town. It did. And I always wanted to go in his car because mine weren't that good. And, and we just did. And I remember one night, we're all having, ha, 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 ha. And I said, guys, you know what? If we wreck and die, we'd all go to hell. 
what are you talking about, dude? Why? And my friends start saying, why do you always bring that up now? Because I was under freaking conviction, that's why. Because somebody dropped a truth bomb in me when I was a little kid about eternal things and about Jesus and all that stuff. And so I could never be, God ruined me before he saved me. And then he really ruined me after he saved me. I could never sin happy anymore. It's a good thing. He convicted me. He convicted, hopefully he convicted you. Conviction is your friend. But he drew me and he drew you and he sent his word. He sent his truth. And before he wrapped me in grace, he wrapped me up in conviction. I needed something that, huh? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wait a minute, wait, wait. Did you say wrench? Or hammer? How about, I'm a hammer, baby. I'm a hammer. I'm not a wrench. I didn't say wrench. I said wretch. Who saved a wretch. Wretch? Oh, nobody's a wretch now. We're all good. Everybody's good and cute. Everybody. Right? Everybody's good and cute. But God's grace convicts us. John Newton said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Who didn't save an amazing person like me, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. And then he says, and grace taught my heart to fear. And before grace relieves your fear, it's a gift from God to have grace teach you to fear. Fear what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when the Holy Spirit works this kind of grace that causes a person to fear, that's a healthy fear. It's a fear that makes you realize you're on a roundabout going nowhere and there's no off-ramp and you're bothered about that. You're bothered about that. That's God, man. We do a disservice to people if we come along and when people are under that kind of thing and we just, get, hey, oh, and we just lift that yoke off of them, God's trying to put it on them. God wants to wrestle the Jacob out of Jacob and turn him into a prince with God. We don't say, oh, honey, come here. I'll no, that's too hard. He'll never give you more than you can handle. He wants, to, he wants to pin you, man. He wants to pin you. Preachers who need to be pleased and need to be cool and need to be loved, and we all need to, we all want that. We do a disservice to people, and it is an eternal, tragic sin to keep that part of the gospel away from people. Thank God when the prodigal was coming to his senses, he didn't have some person go up and go, oh dear boy, don't worry, don't worry. It's all good. God loves you just the way you are. Partial truths can kill you. That's a partial truth. God loves you just the way you are. But listen, if you stay just the way you are, you're in deception, depravity, and your life is being destroyed. And it was the grace of God that brought the prodigal to his senses that pig food was not the father's food. Grace, that's grace, that's grace. That's grace. Grace taught my heart to fear, but grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Come with me again to our friend Luke in chapter 15, and I can't get away from this passage. I hope you never get away from this passage, because when he came to his senses, he began to think of his father's house. And you know what he thought? Here's what I'm saying. If we preach a gospel in such a way that only lets people think that they're lost, they're sinful, they're depraved, 
Oh, let's drill that depravity of man until even new believers go back and live under the cloud of depravity. Let's not let them have too much joy in their new relationship with God. Let's keep reminding them they're nothing but a worm. Let's just keep doing it. Step on me, God, and watch me squirm. Let's just keep doing that in church. Junk. When he came to his senses, he said, My father's house, even the slaves, haven't made in the shade. We need to tell people who this God is, like his, like his son did when he came. Just a thought. So he got up. Jesus is saying this. He got up and he came to his father. But while he was a great way off, God, this is who he's talking about, his father felt compassion. He saw him. He felt. And he ran and embraced him. Excuse me, Walgreens is calling me. What in the world? Uh, And he felt, he felt compassion for him. And he ran to him. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. And the son goes into the thing. Oh, I'm sinned. I'm sinned. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful that he said that. I'm no longer worthy. Look, God doesn't listen to that. He doesn't listen to that. He's not listening to that. You know what he's saying? While he's doing that, the father's going, robe, shoes, ring, ring. And the father says, quick, bring out the best robe and put, swaddle this boy. Swaddle him. Swaddle him. Because this environment, I never want him to forget. I never want him to forget who I am and what I'm like. Simba, you've forgotten me. Mufasa says, and Simba says, how have I forgotten you? Because when you forget who you are, you forget me. I'm a deep theologian. I get most of my illustrations from Disney movies. (laughs) Wait till I do a series on the Beatles. Anyway. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And it's in that appearance of grace that we are swaddled. And it's the nurturing that we need. That's why I call it nurtured in Nazareth. Now, Jesus didn't need that kind of grace from God because he had it. But he was a young toddler and he needed human instruments to nurture him in that kind of environment. And so does every new born Christian. So does every person walking through that door. So does every brother, every sister. We need to nurture one another. Jesus even needed human instrumentation of a representation of what his father wanted him to have. That's why he selected Mary. That's why he selected Joseph. And his whole life long, God put him in a place called Nazareth, which was an out of sight, out of mind of the enemy's plots and Herod's plots, a strategic place. Nazareth was in the sticks in the north. It was not the place to be. As we have read many times, they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Matthew describes the scripture, paraphrasing a couple of them that culminate in this phrase, and he shall be called a Nazarene. That's like saying, and they were called hicks or hillbillies. 
We say that it was a... You know what I'm saying? Just like there's people that downstate that think that the state of Maryland ends in Frederick County, and we're up here, they just kind of like feel sorry for... I don't mean everybody's that way, but it's like, oh yeah, well they're like... They're like uh, West Virginia in a suit. Anyway, that's it's kind of, like there's people that you know what I'm saying. Like when you you know you know it's wrong, but there's people think, oh, you're from where? They said when the the former owner of the Washington Redskins, Jack Kent Cook, was when they started uh, working at when they started uh, practicing or preseason at Frostburg State back in the day, that Jack Kent Cook came up in his limo and he's riding through these towns making fun of them. Flintstone. This is where Fred was born. The owner of the Redskins. Paw, paw, right? Right? Anyway, can anything good come? That's how people would think. That's what they thought of Nazareth. But you know what? That's not what God thought of Nazareth. It's not what God thought of Nazareth. He was going to nurture the Son of God there. Now, Luke doesn't mention the satanic assassination plot by Herod, which Matthew does, which caused Joseph and Mary to take Jesus on foot to Egypt. That's in Matthew. Luke doesn't even go there. He assumes we know that. Luke's written after Matthew. But here's the only thing we get from Jesus' silent years. There's only two passages. Let's go there. There's only two passages. Here's one of them. When they, that's his parents, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their city of Nazareth. Here's this. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, There it is. And the grace of God was upon him. That's his toddler years. And that's the way it was. Summary. All through those toddler years. The only other occurrence we find him is he's 12 years old. And he goes to Jerusalem, which is a trek. Three times a year, they would go to celebrate festival. And one of them, the big one was Passover. Thousands and thousands of people would be in Jerusalem. Jesus goes with his mother and father. He's 12 years old. And they're in a caravan of the faithful, right? And uh, they're there. And, and they leave. They do the thing. They get a couple days out. couple days out. And they go, wait a second. We forgot something. Kevin! No. Right? No. Right? Now, now, forgetting Kevin would be one thing, right? But the Son of God, go talk that one over with his dad. Hey, um, here I, hey, here I am, the uh, the immaculate, magnificat, mom. Do you know where he is? <laughs> right? They go back. They go back, and they find him. They find him. And then they bring him home. After they bring him home, it's the only other thing we know. The only other thing we know. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. See that? And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. This is all we know. Maybe you feel like I used to feel cheated. I wanted more details. I wanted to know all more. Well, tell me more. What, what are we missing? And that's one way to look at it. But you know what I think now? The Holy Spirit says, you're not looking close enough. 
I want you to really look at this. He's saying, take a very good look at the vital importance of these important words. From birth through infancy, from toddlerhood through teen years, he's on a bridge of nurturing in Nazareth. Think deeply about this and adjust your discipleship program accordingly. Think deeply about this and adjust your parenting accordingly. Because parenthood is all about modeling, not preaching. Modeling. Planting the Lord's words in our home and in our church environments. Growing wisdom. Wisdom. Now, intelligence is one thing. Absolutely important. But this is different than intelligence. This is wisdom. Um... This is my definition of wisdom, mine. If I could define what I, what I think wisdom is from God's perspective, it'd be something like this. Uh, being enlarged in the meaning of the what, the why, the how, and the wonder of all of life's diversities in the light of God's ways. When I think of wisdom... This is what I define it as. Being enlarged in the meaning of what, why, how, and wonder of all of life's diversities in the light of God's ways. By the age of 12, this was going on with Jesus. In the 46th verse of chapter 2, I don't have it up here, but uh, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Do you know what Jesus told his disciples? He said, when I send you out in years to come and they arrest you and they, you stand before kings and governors, he said this, I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Paul talks about coining, if, 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 you, if you ask Paul, how would you sum up the way you pastor, the way you preach and teach? He would say it this way. I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Challenge to uh, my pastor friends, as I challenge myself. If people would do an inventory of your sermon selections over a year, would they walk away and say, to sum, to sum up my pastor or the teacher, he preaches about the riches of Jesus. That when I listen, I just want to go hug the Lord. What mountain do you preach from, pastor, teacher, young person that wants to become one? Do you stand at a mountain that is like thunder and gloom and thick darkness that even Moses himself feared with a great fear? Turn off the trumpet, turn off the sound where you cower in. That's a Sinai message. 
Or do you preach from Zion where your feet are beautiful and you're declaring our God reigns and you describe heaven as angels in joyful assembly with a blood testimony that speaks a better word? Everybody says they preach gospel, but some people preach Moses in a Jesus suit and don't know it because the environment by which they were discipled created that. Paul said, I want to bring to light the administration of this mystery, which is showing the wisdom of God through the church. That's in an environment of grace. Wisdom, stature. Jesus grew in stature. Stature. It means he, as he grew up in his toddlerhood, somewhere by 12, he knew at 12 that it was his father's house. The temple was his father's house. She said, you and me and your father are anxiously looking. He said, why are you looking for me everywhere? Didn't you know I had to be in... My father's house. At 12, he knew it. I want to know when John knew who he was. I have a whole message on I want to preach right now, but I can't right now. I can't. In the same way, he didn't save you and I to sit. He didn't save you and I to be connoisseurs of sermons and have a library filled with all the great thises and post all their quotes. That's all Wonderful. But he saved you so you would know who you are in the body of Christ. Who are you that I can't be, that they can't be, that nobody can be? And the do you? He said, if I could have your body by this time next year. Mm. Favor with God and favor with people. Some people want to lead people into the favor of God, but they don't have enough favor with people to make people want to hear what they have to say about God. The likability factor in many of our lives needs to go way up. Because we'll never follow somebody. Of course, not. they won't follow anybody they don't believe in, but they also won't follow people they don't like. And there's a difference between being a people poser and having a favor with people that comes because you're growing up in a nurturing grace environment. Here's another thing I find very fascinating. When Jesus is 30 years old and he's in ministry and the Pharisees are playing a game and, and they're presenting God uh, and they've built, they've built boundaries around boundaries and commandments around the commandments because they were so afraid. Everything was about, oh, they, someone's going to pollute the holy temple and the holy us. So they made all these rules around rules. And judged people by rules that weren't even the heart of God. But apparently, Joseph and Mary raised Jesus differently in a grace environment. Because he's the only one that he looked at them and he said, you need to go and learn what this means in here. To sum up all of the scriptures that you're saying, here's what they all mean. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Where do you get that from? I believe he got that from his mother and father's heart toward the law. The way they lived the law was not rigid. 
It was not in a vacuum, loveless. It was a liberating, room to breathe, creative, empowering light that enlarged this young boy's life so that he could look at the what, the why, the how, and all the diversities in the light of God's way. Reggie Joyner, we're going to hear more from him next week. I got to meet him and listen to him at Catalyst one year. A couple quotes from him. He says, the best way for a kid to know God is to know someone who knows God. How you live is connected to what you believe, but what you become is connected to what you see and who you believe in. Create a ministry that speaks to the heart of a child in a way that makes them want to go to church. I've said to Tyler and others, here's your vision statement. Here's your vision statement. Just do this. Do this. Because kids are on a bridge. Don't need to hear about the whole world drowning in a flood. When you're four years old, that's not really what you want. You don't want your kid waking up in the middle of the night screaming bloody murder and say, where'd you get it? I had children's church. I no, 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 no. You don't need about the health thing and when they're four or five, say, no, 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 no. How about this? A great big God with a great big plan and to make you have a great big life. How about that? Let's work that. And when they get in the car, here's what they say. When mom says, how was it? Go, Can we come back next week? There's your vision statement. Can we come back next week? That's what you want. We'll take care of the discipleship. Don't, don't worry about it. We'll do that. So that's Jesus. How about Paul? Paul was all about this himself. Do you know in the book of Ephesians, he mentions the word grace 12 times in six chapters. Jesus and Paul were all about grace. Um, how did it work out for them? Not too shabby, right? Not too shabby? All right, let's go there. Uh, uh, if it worked for if it worked for born-again Saul, do you know the apostle Paul, his, his, his Hebrew name, his Jewish name was Saul of Tarsus. He never got nurtured in Nazareth, but the idea applies. Now, Saul was raised up in the, in the, in the law, and the way he preached the law, we read about him, he, he was a part of murdering Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus. He was a part of the great persecution against the church, which caused the church to scatter out of Jerusalem. Um, but God, and he went to Damascus with, with power, with power letters from the boss man of the church world. And they were going there to arrest people and throw them in jail and even kill them. And that's what he was going to do. And Jesus met him before lunch. It was an interesting lunch meeting. Knocked him to, blinded him for three days. Revealed, how would you like to believe you're serving God with all your heart, all your, all your whole life long? And by lunchtime, one day you realize everything you were about is completely wrong. Completely wrong. That was him, Saul, right? So to make a long story short, he gets converted, comes to Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and right off the bat, he's ready to roll because he's a, he's a type A personality. He's a dominant guy. God's going to use this gift, but it's way untempered. And all he does now is in the name of Jesus, he's stirring up trouble. Unintentionally, he's just being himself. But what he needed was to not be himself in such a way. He needed tempered. 
And so the apostles sent him to Tarsus back home. Sent him home, put him on the shelf, put him on the bench. I mean, can you imagine being Michael Jordan and you're on the bench and it's fourth quarter and you're down 10 and you, know, and you don't get in? That's Saul of Tarsus. Off he goes. He's gone. Meanwhile, meanwhile, those who left Jerusalem fleeing for their lives, a couple of them were men from Cyprus of Cyrene, they went to a place called Antioch and began preaching to the non-Jews about Jesus. And it says, in the hand of the Lord, watch this, and the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord is grace. The hand of the Lord on your life means it works. It works. When the hand of the Lord's on your life, something's going to work. And it's working. And many large numbers believe and turn to Jesus. And the news about this reaches the head church, the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. Now, I added, I added to this my stuff in here. They, they sent Barnabas. Here's what you might not know. Barnabas was not his name. That was his nickname. His real name was Joseph. But he lived out who he was in the gifts of the Spirit in such a way in the church of Jerusalem, he was known by his nickname, not his real name. He was known by his gifts and his grace, not by the name that his mom and dad gave him. It's kind of like uh, that lady that keeps interrupting my message, that Roberta out there. Her and her husband. Her and her husband. You know what? They're Tim and Roberta, but you know who they are? They're encouragers. Mm -hmm. They're just... They are. You know what? They didn't go to encouragement school. They didn't go to this seminar, although they were, but you know, if, if we had an encouragement seminar, you know, they'd be there. You know why? Because that's, that's fine-tuned to their giftedness. If we put sign-up sheets out there for people to do certain stuff, and that's not who you are, you ain't going to sign up for that. Or you might sign up and go, that was good, but that's so not me. I play, in the, I play in the white keys, and that's a black key ministry. Not that it's wrong. It's just not you. Joseph didn't go, oh, you know, I guess you got to do the giving thing. How much do you have to give? 4%? 10? What? Uh, how, much, how much can I get away? That wasn't him. It was, he was just being himself. He was known. They nicknamed him son of encouragement. You know why? Well, when the church was in need, he went off and sold his property. Not because they had a sell your property convention. Not because the guy that comes and said, if you don't sell your property, we're going down. We're going down, friend. I've got this miracle spring water here. If you, 18, because we're going to go down unless you, it wasn't that. Don't you make, that stuff make you sick. Puke. We need 45 people to give 45, my birthday, $45. Well, and I shut up. I hate that stuff. When the hand of God's on your life, it works. Might not be able to help you get your yacht, but the work of God will get you the $45,000 tennis shoes you preach in. But other than that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I told myself I wouldn't say that. This week, he sold his property, took the money, and came into the church, walked up to the front, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And he didn't say, hey, whatever, I want to know what you're going to do with this. He just threw it out there. That's who he was. 
And I just didn't, now I know there's people in the religious spirit world. I didn't just say that to try to get something from you. The world's whacked, man. That's who he was. So they send him. Look at the next slide. Then when he arrived, how many of you are with me on that? You listening to this? When he arrived, I love this, and witnessed the grace of God. How do you witness the grace of God? Well, you see something, you sense something, you see it in the people, you see it in the press, you see it in the, how, I don't know if they had, mu- I don't know what kind of music they had, I don't know if they listened to Hillsong or Bethel, I don't know what they did in Antioch back in the first century or not, I don't know if they had hymns or choruses or if they had transparencies and they shot the lyrics on the wall, or as guys that used to tell me not to do that in the church I used to do it in, some we're, we're sick of those off-the-wall songs, we're sick of those off-the-wall songs, I don't know what they did, but he witnessed, the, they probably didn't have any of that because you don't, when, when you're in that kind of attitude, you don't have the grace of God in your church. No one said anything over here. When you, I hope you guys, when you have those kind of attitudes and people come in, they don't witness the grace of God. You, you know why I know that you guys are on good, in good shape with each other? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit is so sweet in here. It's because you're sweet. Well, it is Valentine's Day, right? I mean, you are sweet. And he rejoiced. And he began to be himself. Uh, it says encourage, I added. And Joseph Bar- just, just, just did his... Roberta doesn't come to church going, you know, I guess I got to encourage people today. Oh, Lord, help me. Hope pastor has that anointing of to transfer the power of encouragement onto me today. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. I'm going somewhere with this message, I promise. This is so important. And what did he do? I wish I could jump up like Jordan and touch it. Boom. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Has anybody ever come looking for you in a good way? I can't imagine what Saul is doing, but he's not doing anything that he thinks he should be doing. He's on the bench. And Barnabas left that grace environment because he knew, I know a boy. I know a young man. God's got his hand on his life. And he's probably discouraged feeling like he's on the back line. I know a guy that needs a whole lot of this environment in his life. And he went off to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And let me just add this. When somebody like that comes for you, don't throw in their face. Well, I'm mad at uh, James and John. If they would have known who I was, what do I got to go through growth track? I went to first, second, and third assembly of God. I sang in an Easter special at Central, and I was really good. So was I. But if I walked into their church, I would call their pastor, sir, and sit down and soak and offer to serve and be teachable and listen. And I wouldn't say, 
Have you seen my brochure? And for a year, they met with the church and taught disciples. What's the context of this message? The context of this message is a nurturing environment, staying in your Nazareth until God says go. And what God is wanting to see happen in all of our lives is this grace that we sing about and this grace we all can exegete is a grace that needs to be absorbed. Notice the anointing on this church. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And they didn't call themselves that. The people of the world said, they are little presents of Jesus people. Christian means an anointed follower. There's the hand of Jesus. They know. I don't know if they knew the doctrine. They didn't come asking, what is your take on Haggai? What is your take on the Levitical laws? No, they just said, they're Jesus people. They called them that. What? Those people, they're like little Jesuses. Imagine a discipleship curriculum that could promise you turned into Jesus. Wouldn't we all use it? There isn't any. I've been through every discipleship program there was. I think I've read every book that was ever printed in the first couple of years, that, was, that was offered to me in the first couple of years of my Christian life. And you know what? I got way educated over my level of obedience and way out in the grades that I shouldn't have been in. I should have stayed in kindergarten and I wanted to be in PhD school. And, and I got a lot of knowledge and my knowledge was way beyond my character development. And people spoke to me about the hand of God's on your life, the hand of God's on your life. And I got put in environments where I began to actually think that what I knew made me, made me that. And not only that, I was such a sponge. I listened and read and all these kind of things. And I didn't know left from right, up from down. And I lost who I was to be trying to follow people that I thought I was supposed to be like. And the reason I'm preaching this is because I don't want that to happen to you. It's not enough to make disciples. It's about disciples becoming like Jesus. Because after a person is fully trained, they will act like the fool who trained them. Did you just call people fools? Not everybody, but only the ones who Paul called fools, who took these Jesus-loving living in Eden before the fall kind of hearts and, and put the doo-doo voodoo on them. That's what I call it. What's doo-doo voodoo? Doo-doo voodoo is claiming to preach the gospel, but it's the law and legalism called the gospel. I call it doo-doo voodoo. Paul called it witchcraft. And he says, and you say, he called them fools? These, these people are fools. Let me, I'll, I'll just quote Paul. Are you so foolish, you who began in the spirit, are you now seeking to finish the job in the strength of your own flesh? That's what you feel like you have to do when you get lawed up, when you get lawyered up from here. Satan spends more time slithering around this thing in the church than anywhere else. Jesus said about the Pharisees, 
Don't follow them because when you're fully trained, you're going to be like them. Make sure you know who you're following and who you're listening to. There are people that are so doctrinally sound, they're probably as sound as Jesus, but their spirits are ridiculously nowhere near like Jesus. Doctrinal soundness, doctrinal soundness, doctrinal soundness will look like love flowing out of a heart that's not mixed, a good conscience, and a genuine faith progression. That's the goal of discipleship. Almost done. Growth track non-negotiables. Here's why it's a non-negotiable thing. Not a, you must go, but... But here's why. Because Dustin's going to get in deep on these things that are non-negotiables here. Not just discipleship, healthy discipleship. Big difference. Nurturing environments. Climate of acceptance. Climate of acceptance. They're, they're, They're the cells within every circle that I pray and I ask and I encourage all of our staff, all of our people, that, that this is the way, healthy discipleship, nurturing environments, climate of acceptance. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And the reason why we need uh, these things to continue on in our faith, not just for newborn babes in Christ, oh, but if there is ever a place to have that, newborn babes in Christ, hey, don't show me a picture show. Don't give me some book to read. It won't satisfy the hurt inside and the habit that I feed. I need a shot of love. One of my favorite pastors, Bob Dylan, wrote those words. And here's why we need this to go on even after the newborn Christian class. Because as Newton writes, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. I'll close with this thought. I've got friends and colleagues who are worried, and probably even of me, that I get too grace heavy. Well, that could happen. But you know, Jesus was accused of that. I guess Paul was accused of that. I'm not saying I'm them. Do you know in the first chapter of John's Gospel, if you, if you just read it with a casual read, there's one thing he is saying. God in Christ intensified an emphasis of grace in his truth. It's the center point of the Bible, old and new. Do you know the last words that the Apostle Paul spoke in his last letter before he was executed? The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Do you know the last words that Simon Peter wrote in 2 Peter before he was executed? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know the last words in the book of Revelation by John penned? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Do you get that? The last thing you say before you die? I want to close with this. For those who... 
concerned about being too grace-heavy. This is from my upcoming book that I haven't written yet, The Chronicles of T. McGee. Here's, here's our right. It's true, one can pervert the grace of God, but nobody can overdose on the pure grace of Jesus Christ. Will you go on the book tour with, with, with me, uh, Roberta? Could a misunderstanding of the grace of God lead one to think it's give somebody a license to sin? Yes. And, it may, and may it never be. Still, what will never be will be an experience of growth, healthy and holy discipleship, apart from a hearty dose of the grace of God that continues throughout my life. Do you have one of these? Did you get it out? Our band could come back. It, I had this message written, and I was praying, and I was watching the Olympics, and I love, I love the downhill, and I love the luge, and I love that new skeleton thing where you get on that little sled, and it's going 80 miles an hour, and it's just you and your noggin getting ready to hit something. And I never want to see anybody get hurt, but I love watching that. And then I'm, I'm watching that, and I knew I wanted to spend a little bit of time with the Lord, you know, for today and pray for today. And, and then the, the, and I was going to do it anyway, but that one thing came on where they, they slide down and they hit that thing. It's like a shuffleboard, and they're like, and the little guys get their little sweep of them, like, nah, I don't worry. Nobody can get hurt on that. I don't watch that. So it was 6 p.m. I looked at the clock and I was just turned off the TV and I was just in my place and I was just listening to God. I was like, Lord, I, you know, uh, I, I really, I want you to use me to feed your sheep. I want you to use me to feed your sheep. Lord, I, I want to be able to convey this so deeply, it's so in my heart. I want this to be a baton that's passed that for generations to come, if you tarry, that the Lighthouse of Hope Church would be a place of grace. It would be a Nazareth where people are nurtured, where you can launch their life. And, and as I was saying that, and I'm sorry, if, if, but I'm not sorry, but I heard, the, I'll just wrote, write this down. I felt like the Lord, if, if the Lord was speaking to me, and it's all biblical, so in back, you can check that out. But in his still small voice way, I just want to share with you what he said to me. Tell them about the cross. Tell them that my cross still breaks the power of sin. And I just want to pray a minute. Lord, I just pray that right now that you would be yourself in your church, that this lampstand, I, I believe it's more than flickering. I don't believe we're a dimly burning wick. I believe that we're a, 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 a flaming lampstand, but it's yours. And you're in the center of it. I just give it to you. Actualize what you told me. He said, tell them that my cross still breaks the power of sin. And then he said, my blood still cleanses to the uttermost, even if you're in the gutter most. My spirit can break any chain and bring to life anything or anyone from any situation buried in the deepest dungeons of impossibilities. 
And then I heard him whisper this, Tim, somebody, and if you're either, you're in this room or you're watching, and maybe you're in another time dimension down the road somewhere next week, next month, a year from now. That's the thing about live stream and do all this. God's times are every time. But maybe you're here. But I heard this last night. Someone prayed this past week, God, I need a sign from you. And he told me at 6 p.m., because I looked at my watch and I wrote this down, he told me to mention that he heard you pray that prayer. Now he has a sign for you. If you're in this room today, he is going to give you a sign today with something he does in a new dimension of his presence coming on your life. If you are driving a car, listening to this, somewhere in the month of February, March, April, you prayed that prayer, he heard it, there is something for you. He's heard you cry out of the grave of despair in your soul. And he wants to shine upon your life his goodness. He wants to swaddle you today. Your life isn't over. Whoever you are, your life isn't over. It is just about to start. That's the word of the Lord. I want you to hold the cup and the bread in your hand. Take the lid off. Let's start with the bread side. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come around the altar because the Lord wants to release some things today. This is my body, he said. But when we break it, we're also saying, I am your body. We are in the body. I've come to do your will, O God, to be broken like you that others might be blessed. If you would pray that prayer, do this in the remembrance of him. Take the bread. You are his body. In Jesus' name. We flip it over and take the lid off of the cup that represents his blood. His blood can make the vilest, the most wicked, the guttermost clean as the snow. It's not a redo, it's not a reset, it's a rebirth. His blood breaks the power of sin. His cross broke the power of the law of sin and death. Creates an off-ramp off the roundabout for you to escape. And not just escape, but to come into a destiny of life. All because of the blood. <clears throat> Lord, we honor your blood that cleansed not only the earth, but the heavens. You're the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the devil knows it, demons know it, the angels know it, myriads of myriads of angels know it, the Father accepts it, and your blood still speaks a greater word. And we proclaim the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to save and wash and cleanse every soul that will believe you today. This is my blood shed for you to set you free from your sins. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And as you drink it, be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Would you stand, please? Now, God wants to release ministry around these altars today. I know this because he spoke this to my heart last night. I couldn't wait to get here. I, 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 uh, listen, 
I couldn't wait to get here. Listen, we're, you know, today's Super Bowl Sunday and a lot of things are going to go on, but I just want to, I just want to take a moment. Here, here's the thing. Um, come if, come if God's leading you to, come if God's leading you to, but the father, the father by the ministry of the Holy Spirit has ordained a time of refreshing to come upon your life today by the presence of the Lord. And we're believing that he's going to release by faith a ministry of the Holy Spirit to our church this morning. And here's what I know. If you need this, you carry a burden for parenting your kids and you're alone in doing so and the burden is heavy and it's wearisome and today he's going to release a fresh awareness a sense of grace and a brand new confidence that he's with you that he's with you and would protect your household protect your family give you insight i want to pray for you that god will release that anointing of confidence on your life that there is a father favor that's going to come upon people today that you are going to have a new creative thing happen in you, that you, your grace, the grace of God's going to shine out of your life, that you're going to be a good bait for the fish in the world to come to Jesus. There is an anointing on that this morning. And so if you come and stand in the presence of the Lord, we're going to believe there is a healing anointing today that if you will bring your faith there is a healing gift being released today to deliver people from some chronic things to get you on your feet and get you about your father's business. And it's, and it's powerful. And it's free. It's not earned. It's a gift of his grace. As these guys begin to sing, God wants to release that around these altars. And finally... There are some of us who've come back to the Lord. We knew the Lord, we got away from the Lord, and in that season of time away from the Lord, we lost some things. We lost some things out of our own doing, our own making. We squandered some things. And uh, this came to me very strongly, and I feel like I need to say this, that the Lord is promising to people who are here, and the enemy has told you you can never get back what you lost because you caused it. Here's the word of the Lord to you. There is an anointing today for you to get back on track, but get back what you lost by sin and carelessness. And it will not be because of you. It's because of grace. You're tormented by regrets and fear gripping you over that. And God is going to lift that off you today. God's going to lift that off of you today. So without any more comments, there is a, there is a release of anointing and many other things right now for those who will step in faith and come to receive and be swaddled and nurtured in a grace that's available to you. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.